The Consumer Electronics Show, or CES, has cemented itself as the world's proving ground for new and innovative technology. From the curious to the downright creepy, there's always something to talk about. Today, we'll discuss the laptops announced at CES that are finding new ways to keep us productive, and we'll unpack the most peculiar products that caught our eye this year. But before we dive in, I'd like to welcome back our regular guest, Nathan Ned Kelly Kettle. Welcome to a new year, mate. Howdy, everyone. I hope everyone had a good uh, New Year's break and a Merry Christmas, and they're all fired up for another year. Yes, nice one. And is it a case of New Year, New You? Mate, I don't change much. <laughs> I'll take that as a no. Um, and making his podcast debut, uh, a warm how do you do uh, to Ben Kirsch. Welcome, mate. Hey, how are you going? Good, mate. It's really good to have you here. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, for for those who who might not have come across you at Fast Track, can you give us a quick rundown of what you do? Uh, so I'm I'm working with Ned. Uh, we do very similar jobs. Uh, we handle the infrastructure for our customers and ourselves. Uh, we also help run our Fast Track customer store, um, and we also handle all of our Logitech voice uh, installs, Control Four installs, all that good stuff. That's the fun stuff. That's the stuff we love. Yeah, hands-on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's good to have you on, and uh, yeah, welcome to your first podcast. I'd like to begin our discussion with one of the unsolved challenges in the laptop world, that is multi-screen. So we've all come to enjoy the convenience of plugging our laptops to a dock and seamlessly switching between two or more monitors. Um, but when you're separated from your desk, the lack of a screen in real estate is something that has traditionally been hard to replicate. Uh, there have been many attempts to solve the multi-monitor ex um, experience uh, for when you're on the road, but we're yet to see these concepts enter the mainstream uh, business-grade um, design sphere. Um, so we've seen a few attempts. Um, so Razer started it all in CES uh, 2017 with Project Valkyrie. Uh, the self-proclaimed world's first triple display laptop um, was announced at CES 2017. Um, but we haven't seen much of it since. It definitely feels like it's still in concept form um, and never really left that announcement. Um, uh, more recently, Asus, Kogan, Dell, HP, and many other um, providers have released portable USB-C monitors, which despite some glowing reviews are yet to take hold of the market. Uh, and finally, there's a plethora of Kickstarter and entrepreneurial projects that try and tackle the problem. Mobile Pixel has the Trio, uh, slide, slide and Joy uh, has the Le Slide, and I, I don't even know if you this is correct, but uh, XBEC, uh, they have the TriScreen product, and they all aim to make multi-screen more accessible to consumers with universally, universally compatible double screen screen attachments that sit on top of your laptop. None of these uh, products that I describe as business grade or enterprise grade, um, uh, but at uh, CES, we saw a continued and renewed desire to tackle the multi-screen challenge from Asus and Lenovo. So Lenovo's ThinkBook Plus Gen 2i, uh, thanks for correcting me on the, uh, on the script there, Nathan. Um, it's in a second generation uh, and is a little different to your standard laptop. Uh, so, uh, boys, um, tell me about it. Well, other than being um, a little bit more of a mouthful than the previous generation, uh, the ma the main change that 
that users are going to see to to the ThinkBook Gen 2i uh, will be an upsizing of the outside screen. So if you can just visualize with me for a second, if you're listening in and not viewing this on, on, a, on a video feed, then uh, you've got your traditional laptop screen on the inside. This actually puts a screen on the on the lid, essentially, of the, the laptop itself. So the, the previous generation was a 10.8-inch touchscreen. Uh, and and uh, Lenovo have upgraded that to a 12-inch screen, so a little bit more real estate. And they've also upped uh, the resolution of this screen to be 2560 by 1600, which uh, for those of you who have this product would know that that is actually the same resolution as the main screen. So what it means is that the applications are no longer having to resize to the resolution when you're switching between the two. So if you're working on it and then you close it and want to use it in some sort of tablet mode, um, then there's no bugs and things happening like there was with the first generation. So that's a really cool fix um, that Lenovo have brought to the table with this second generation. So for me, the thing that stands out is the e-ink display. Um, ben, keen to get your thoughts on some of the good uses for the e-ink display. Yeah, so this display would be good for people that want to walk around with their laptop and not have to balance their laptop on their hand and type on their keyboard while trying to look at what's happening around them. They can just fold their laptop, stand up with the pen that's included, scribble on their Word documents or on their PDFs on a site or wherever they are. Um, and then later when they go home, they can unfold the laptop, see the changes that they made while on site and then commit them to the Word document or PDF, whatever they were working for. So pretty much a project matters dream laptop. Um, so they can, you know, open up their design while they're on site um, and then go home and sort of finish up those emails that they were writing. Um, and I guess you can unfold the laptop and get a portable battleship game. Um, yeah, you got your two screens. That's so. my that's my key selling point. <laughs> and it's pretty like uh, the e-inks um, saves a lot of power, right? Yeah, so it's a very low power consumption screen. So you'll be able to carry it around all day pretty much uh, making your changes. And for me, like when I was looking at this, the thing that stood out to me was that um, it would be really good for quick activities. So rather than having to open the lid, boot up your laptop, you know, let it all, all your processes load and then open up the application, um, you've got this e-ink display that fires up super quick and you can do really short, quick activities like responding to email and, and using, you know, basic features like the ca calculator or stuff like that. That's, that's how I sort of imagine myself using it is that those real quick little activities. Actually, um, I think I think Hayden, you and I would be the last people to get it, considering our track record with broken laptop screens. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm up to uh, two damaged laptops. Uh, you're at the top track. of the leaderboard. Yeah, yeah, that's one leaderboard that I'm happy to um, be overtaken on. <laughs> um, very good. Uh, so uh, I'm keen to understand, for comparison's sake, um, how do the specifications of this ThinkBook Plus Gen 2i um, compare to like a Surface Pro or a traditional ThinkPad style laptop? They're still using the same process technology for their processors. Uh, these, this new generation is, of course, up to date with the 11th gen uh, Intel Tiger Lake cores, which are anywhere between 5 to 20% faster than 10th gen, clock for clock. Uh, 
Uh, mm. They're also better on power as well. So they they made some really big improvements from Ice Lake to Tiger Lake cores. Uh, so they, these devices are quite powerful for what they do. Uh, and the main the main limiting factor is they're usually tuned down to about 12 to 15 watts to extend battery life, whereas your laptop with the exact same processor will have up to a 28-watt power limit. So it will be able to turbo and clock higher. So much for muchness, but you will get slightly, ever so slightly, if you're doing really heavy workloads performance out of the laptop grade. Got it. Still so plenty enough firepower to handle what it's doing. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, it's not something that it's been marketed as like a, you know, gaming or designer laptop right so it's um it's, it's very much at that enterprise level spec you're not going to really notice any too, too much difference the, the selling point for me is is definitely the ink display and that different take um on dual screen I, i'm not sure you can even really call it dual screen but um it's definitely another way of thinking about how do you maximize um you know your laptop all the time for kind of different purposes right i think i think it solves a slightly different problem That's from right. what than what these older hang a couple of monitors off your laptop bulky things that we've seen in the past. I think it just it solves a completely different issue. Um, it, it, it aids portability uh, and, and your workflows when you're actually on the go and you're not at your desk. So I think that's the, the main factor there. That's right. I think they've thought about what kind of work are you, you mm. generally doing when you're using your laptop on the go. And, you know, it's pretty rare. I think there's some definitely some use cases where people want to be doing heavy like multi-application type activities, but I think the majority of the case when you're on the go, um, you, you're not actually you don't actually need necessarily the real that much real estate. Um, and I think especially in recent times, we've all invested in. I know a lot of fast track people have invested in their home offices, making sure they have that same experience at home as they do at work with the monitors. Um, keen to understand, Ben. Um, you touched on it earlier, the different types of users that are going to get, we talked about kind of the scenarios you might use it, but what are the type of users that are going to get the most out of value out of this device? So the type of users that are on the go going to different sites, you know, they're not always at the desk, so they can't always be plugged into a dock. People that want to be able to have their laptop but be in a portable where they can just take it out of their bag, quickly write some notes down, put it back in their bag, and go off on their merry way. They don't need to load up a laptop that takes five minutes and by then you've forgotten what you were going to write or, you know, the scenario's changed already. Uh, so those people that want a really quick way to jot down notes um, on their laptop so they don't have to convert it from their phone to their laptop and worry about all these different things not communicating properly. Mm. I think I think uh, any any creative type of workflow or even project managers as you're working around a site, uh, being able to to write down notes on the top of your laptop essentially is is a big bonus. Totally. I think for me, the only ones that we might have missed is um, kind of business development salespeople. Um, you know, they don't need huge amounts of grunt um, for what they're doing, but they're certainly um, in and out of the office regularly. Uh, and I think this is really well-positioned product for um, small to medium-sized businesses. Um, you need something a bit more dynamic, um, whereas if you're an enterprise, you're looking for probably something that standardizes really well across the organization. I just don't think that there's enough, you know, if you look at either side of, of, the, of these devices, not sure if it's enterprise. I think if you're an enterprise, you're more so looking at the standard ThinkPad and the, and the ThinkBooks without the, um, not the, the Gen 2i, not the plus, sorry. Um, so I think that's kind of where it fits. So yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good assessment. If, um, if you're at, if you're at your desk all day, then 
it's not really going to benefit you all that much. And the next one I wanted to talk about, um, again, trying to solve that multi-screen uh, uh, challenge, but in, in, a, in a different way again, is the Asus ZenBook Duo. So uh, it brings, like I said, a much different way of trying to solve that. Um, Nathan, what's your take? Uh, so the ZenBook, if we um, if we don't have an image of it that we can put up, is a very particular design. Um, for those of you listening, as you open the lid, another screen on the keyboard taking up roughly around the top one third, it flips up to about seven degree angle so that when you're sitting and looking at it, it's almost like one continuous screen that comes down. And another great part about it is it opens up um, some extra cooling ducts so that the system can run cooler, which then optimizes performance. So uh, to me, it's a, it's an exercise in optimizing a package. Uh, it, it takes as much of the space that is, often wasted on a laptop and it moves the keyboard you know to one place and then the trackpad to another and adds a screen that you can use for all sorts of different things so it's very refreshing uh, at last to see laptop manufacturers actually doing something outside the norm because for so many years we keep getting the same thing the same form factors the same it's, they're almost like a, a one chassis gets made in one factory and they just stamp an, a different name on them so uh it, it's really cool to see something actually happen in that space that um hasn't really been tried that way before but does attempt to solve the problems that we've had previously so i think it's um it the, the previous concepts have been let down in execution. And I think the good, the excellent execution of this particular product is what makes it stand out from all of the others that have tried this before. You know, just look, picking up, well, we haven't actually picked up the device, but looking at the device, you know, it does seem have to have that premium feel. Whereas if you compare that to, you know, previous multi-screen attempts, they do look flimsy. They don't look premium. The hinges look kind of dodgy. Obviously, as you said, that there's they've they've taken that opportunity to, you know, improve the cooling. And they're thinking about things from a practicality standpoint. What are the they're thinking about the different problems that we're solving. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Like what do we see as the key use cases for this secondary screen? So for the secondary screen, I can imagine photo editors and video editing dragging their timeline down to that second screen or putting a bunch of assets that they commonly use on that second screen so they can have the full display main display being taken up by what they're actually editing so they don't have to try and work out what they're editing with a tiny window on their laptop they've got a full display and they've got that little display that's just showing their timeline some assets that they use commonly some effects um, and that'll just improve their workflow yeah, I think multitaskers are going to love it. Uh, any, anyone who loves to multitask, do too many things at once, uh, it, it's going to be very handy. Uh, I think if you're watching a tutorial or uh, and trying to work on one screen and the other, if you've only got the one monitor, it's very difficult to sort of partition a laptop screen. Whereas, you know, you can follow a, a guide article or something and scroll through it on the bottom screen. That And actually helps you keep track of where you're at because it's only yay high. So you're actually you know exactly where you left off last time you looked at it. You don't have to sort of try and find your place again. Uh, it actually be quite handy for these these podcasts, I think. That's going to be really cool for people who multitask. Um, you could even monitor your statistics in real time if you've got, you know, statistics or any sort of alarms that you need to, to monitor. Uh, but probably my favourite part would be you could shift any annoying pop-ups from your apps, you know, whether it's from your, your video calling, your, your instant messaging or any of these apps that you might use inside your organization, move them down to that screen at the bottom, and then it's not getting in your way 
every few seconds as you're getting spammed through your workday as you do. That's, that's a really good point. I think for me, those things are, are very true. Um, for us in the marketing team, you know, our, a lot of our work is very process-based. Uh, so totally the um, being able to have like a, a guide article open or a wiki article open to help you follow that process, fantastic. Uh, the, the only other thing is uh, we also, you know, I'm still a bit manual. I still write down my task list at the start of every day. It's just a cathartic thing. But to have the task list on a secondary screen while I'm, you know, working remotely or on the train or something, you, it's, you know, you're not going to have your notepad on your leg. That's just, it's not going to, it's not very functional, right? So being able to have your, um, your task list for the day up on a secondary screen while you work. For me, I'm just trying to, you know, take this back to a business perspective. You know, if I'm an IT manager or a, um, someone who's responsible for procuring um, devices and, and setting standards at a business, you know, what type of user is going to be um, getting the most value? Who's going to, um, you know, if you can create like in marketing speak, you call it a persona, what kind of audience would you standardize this laptop for? I think anyone that's going to be multitasking, video editors, photo editors, anyone that needs to have just another extra screen to see something, they don't need to necessarily need to engage with that screen, but just to have a little bar that says, you know, alert, your servers have died. Um, you know, just something that's there, you can see it, you can make sure it's still functional. I think those people are going to love this new device. Let's be honest, for most of us, it's going to be the Spotify bar. It's important. You mean the F-Team <laughs> podcast bar? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You can have it open on Spotify. Shameless self-plug there. You can have it open on Spotify, you can have it open on iTunes. We have it open on multiple sources, there's enough room for all that. You can't escape us. Question, thinking about these two devices, two very different approaches. Um, who's tackled the, the multi-screen approach uh, approach or challenge the best out of these two i feel like asus did with the zenbook but that's because it suits what i do with a laptop better if you're the sort of person that is is often out of the office and having to do things and you, you you've got a laptop you're thinking gee i'd really love a tablet right now uh, or you do have a tablet and you wish gee i wish i didn't have to carry around two devices and keep two devices managed and charged and documents open across them then you're going to think that that the uh, the Lenovo did it better, but I think the engineering challenges behind what Asus did with the raisable screen and the extra airflow and the way it all works mechanically, um, that's just outstanding. Not to take anything away from Lenovo, I don't I don't want to take anything away, but yeah, that that's just my take. Everyone's going to be different. Yeah, absolutely, everyone's different. I'm on the go. I'm at sites. I would love to be able to have a tab tablet that I could jot down my notes, make sure that I'm installing everything correctly, you know, make sure all the configs are done right. Uh, and then when drivers. I get back to the office, I can, you know, unfold it, have my laptop. Whether the ThinkBook solves the problem that the old two-in-ones with the folding 360 hinge didn't solve, uh, I'm not too sure, but be interesting to see. So your, your pick, uh, without having to, without actually playing with one yet, is the Lenovo. Absolutely, hands down. Nice. Um, well, no one asked me, but um, I'd definitely be going uh, for the Asus. Um, just that second screen, doing design stuff on the go, that's that's my bag. So I think that gives you the richest, best experience. For me, um, I'm happy to spend an extra, 
you know, 30 seconds booting up my Surface um, at the moment to uh, to doodle tasks. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not on the go that often. I'm usually parked at a desk, luckily for me. So um, that's my pick. The other um, laptop I want to talk about today was um, around was from Microsoft. So uh, Microsoft, although they were very quiet this year at CES, um, they did manage to sneak in the release of the Surface Pro Plus for business. That's just borrowing from different naming conventions from Microsoft. That I, it's actually know. the Pro Seven Plus. Oh, business. sorry, Pro Seven Plus for business. Um, and, Say that uh, ten times fast. Yeah. So it, the the naming conventions are, are getting really uh, meshed together in, in Microsoft. It feels like Office Pro Plus mixed with, you know, the Pro Series. Uh, anyway, it's called the the Surface Pro. I oh, start again. It's I'm. All right, here we go. So the laptop is called the Surface Pro Plus Seven. Oh my goodness! Leave this in. Leave this in. I think we need to leave this in. The Surface Pro Seven Plus for business. Um, and Microsoft says they've built the Surface Pro series to challenge the concept uh, that people should have to choose between the portability and convenience of a tablet and the power and productivity of a traditional laptop. Um, so uh, first question, does the Surface Pro 7 Plus for business achieve this? Can we just call it the, the Pro 7 Plus for now just to... <laughs> Pro 7 Plus? Yeah, yeah that, that, that'll do plus. for the purposes going forward, I think. Uh, so it, it does. Uh, and from from a from a wide range of aspects as well it's highly configurable for a start um the the entry level models are a little 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 bit less processing power a little bit less memory but they can be specced all the way up to a, a premium level i7 with 32 gigs of ram which is pretty crazy for for a mobile device like that and again these this new generation is equipped with the 11th gen um tiger lake cores so there's plenty of processing grunt um, again they're going to be configured for the more you know, battery focused 12 to 15 watt power envelopes, but uh, they're, they're still going to run quite well, uh, easily faster than, you know, a, a laptop of several generations ago. So there's still plenty of uh, plenty of grunt to do the things that you need to do. Totally. And one of the things that stood out for me was that they have opted to include a removable SSD, which is um, something we don't see that often. Um, Keen to hear what the value of this feature is, guys. Where are we? Like 2008? This is amazing. Yeah, so removable storage is back. <laughs> At last. So, you know, for code developers, they want to quickly chuck in a, you know, Linux distro SSD to test their latest app. They can just quickly swap SSDs they've got in the back, you know, swap from Linux to Windows, even to Mac, possibly. Who knows? Um, but, you know, sharing large code projects that you don't really want to risk getting leaked on the cloud. Um, if you're doing some top secret developing for the latest products, you want to keep them nice and secure, locally stored on an SSD. You can quickly offload them from your laptop to your desktop at home. You can quickly change what device is running that code to see how it transfers across from Intel to AMD, making sure everything runs smoothly and quickly so that you don't have to spend 15 minutes changing your setup and making sure the code actually got changed to the newest version. Mm. 
it's something we've been like begging for in like enterprise grade laptops for years, right? And I, yeah, I think the penny finally dropped because one of the more numerous returns for these products for RMA will be drive failures or drive issues. Apart from screens, we're too traumatized by screens here um, between Hayden and myself. So, uh, yeah, like going back for hard drive replacements would be taking up a lot of uh, the, the RMA department's time and materials. So by handing that back to us, they're actually doing themselves a solid as well. Yeah, totally. And um, besides the, asset, the removable SSD, what do we like about it? Uh, there's an LTE model and there's a caveat around this. So stick with me. But... When they said that there was LTE, I got very excited because it's a portable device. It's always been a portable device, the Surface Pro, from one right through to seven. That's been the whole thing. But you still, if you want to use the internet, you need either a Wi-Fi connection, so you can't go too far from your Wi-Fi with it, or you have to hotspot with your mobile phone. And we shouldn't be having to juggle two devices in 2021 we shouldn't have to be going through that punish of hot spotting through your mobile phone so uh, it's it's nice that the future has finally caught up to us um it's a truly mobile device once you put lte in there so uh, it's not 5g capable um which is a little bit of a bummer but not it's not a deal killer because 4g is still plenty for doing workflows and things like that it's some in some instances 4g mobile is actually faster than a lot of our nbn connections in australia so uh you might actually do a little better um now back to that caveat uh, originally it's only available on the i5 version so the i3 and the i7 processors for some reason don't get lte if you want <laughs> lte you have to have the i5 if, and that's, I a, guess... that's a disappointing that it's not on the flagship you're paying it's a shame for it is a shame, but if you think about it, like the types of users that are going to be leveraging this sort of product on the go, doing work stuff, it's going to be the people that don't desperately need the i7, you know. Um, they're going to be your, you know, project managers that are, you know, that don't use crazy resource-heavy apps um, on the go. And well, it's going to be it, your... I, I, your disagree, I disagree there because some of these CAD designs are, in are awfully intensive. So um, you might find that depending on your workflow, you might need the i7 with 32 gigs of RAM to handle these really big building files. True. You'd True. also be surprised about how much um, large Excel spreadsheets take up. Know, I've seen a couple of large <laughs> Excel spreadsheets take up easily 10 gigs of RAM just by themselves. What else is missing outside of the uh, the LTE for i7? I think Nathan actually stole what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> had it written down, you know, no LTE for i7 and i3 seems a bit odd for this portable device. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that, you know, the Surface still with the pro business, you still can't get a Ryzen option. Um, it would have been interesting to see how, you know, if they put in a Ryzen mobile option for those people that maybe want an extra couple of cores um, for multi-threaded applications but so that this is a common thing right so the from my understanding the 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 surface the consumer surface models use the intel and the sorry use the ryzen amd and the enterprise business versions use the intel um i think we might have touched on this in a previous webinar but, uh, podcast but uh it might be worth just briefly mentioning it you know do, do we have any theories about why this is the case it's generational um as well as some other things as well but in this particular case 
Uh, Tiger Lake's been out for um, some months now. It's been to market for quite a while. And yeah. in order to get it in this device and get the device to market, they have to have their hands on it six, 12 months or thereabouts before the product comes to market. Now, um, the current generation of Ryzen Mobile is a little newer than that. It's it's only, you know, a month old tops. And it, it's only just hitting market now in, in OEM laptops. So um, the previous generation of Ryzen is still available. So like the Zen 2 based processors. Mm -hmm. There are advancements in the, the, the third generation that make it miles better than the previous. But you've also got to get the, the actual validation done on enterprise grade stuff first and foremost. So because they don't have as big a market share uh, for the Ryzen Mobile, um, there are apps and, and things out there that aren't validated for that uh, processor, despite they will run perfectly fine. It's a processor. But they have to be validated for certain businesses. You know, you, they need to know that their apps are going to run before you go and spend all those thousands of dollars on your, yeah. your mobile devices. So it, it comes down to, I think those two features. As we know, CES delivers innovative ideas and products each year. Um, but for every business-ready or consumer-ready award-winning product, there's at least two really weird technologies that either promise to make our lives better or make us question uh, the sanity of some of these venture capitalists who are investing in these products. Um, so with that in mind, um, I asked uh, Ben and Nathan to bring two pieces of weird technology that was an, that was announced at CES that would change their lives for the be for better or for worse. Um, so, so Nathan, we might start with your first product. Um, what's your product? Well, you get you certainly gave us a lot to choose from because CES never disappoints on the crazy front. Uh, but for my change for the better that could that could really help ourselves personally as well as society. Uh, is GM's announcement of their concept of a hover taxi, essentially. Um, it's got a much longer name, and given our history with long names in this episode, I'm not going to attempt it. So we'll refer it as hover taxi from now on. So it's it's a quad uh, rotor drone uh, with one seat. So, you know, if, if you need to get somewhere, you jump in the drone and it takes you to where it needs to go. And it, it can do up to 55 k's an hour, uh, 55 miles per hour, sorry, for our American viewers and, and 90 kilometers an hour for our everywhere else viewers, I guess. So, uh, yeah, really cool little piece of kit. I think it's got some um, major advantages for our, our society as it is. So if they can get something like this working, you know, it can really solve a lot of traffic issues for one. Um, as, as populations in cities rise, uh, the amount of space is static. So the roads are only so wide and so long, so you can only fit so many vehicles on it. And every year, as you know, you go into the city, it gets worse and worse and worse. So if we can start to allow traffic to scale vertically, you know, they don't have to fly 100, 200 metres, 300 metres up in the air. We can actually have vertical lanes along our roads that way, and, and we can sort of scale that way. So that's um, a really cool way of fixing up uh, congestion because how many times are you in the car on your own heading to work or, you know, going somewhere? Um, most most cars you see on the road have one, maybe two people in them. So it's um, it's a much cooler way of doing things uh, with regards to to um, getting that capacity. Um, but also the drive is automated. You're not, you know, at the wheel. You, you get in it and it, using GPS and tracking and um, sensors takes you the place that you need to go. So it frees up your time. 
You know, suddenly your half-hour commute yeah. or, or wherever, you've got that back. laptop. You yeah, think, with yeah. your extra screen and watching the Fast Track podcast. That's the way. Uh, and just being able to travel in straight lines rather than following the contour of the land can actually decrease travel times as well. So, um, yeah, it's something that we've been dreaming of since the Jetsons aired back in, I think, the 50s or 60s. So, you know, everyone thought we were going to have this at the year 2000 that we'd be flying around uh, in the air. So, um, yeah, there's, a, there's obviously a lot of water to flow under that bridge before that's a product. And we could be sitting here in 2050 talking about it still. It depends on how the market responds and how much it costs, I guess. But it's um, it's something that it seems so uh, – it's not groundbreaking or earth-shaking, but it could, it could have a really uh, big benefit to the way we live. Totally. Look, it's a pretty exciting concept, and we must stress this is this is there's no product. It's it's a 3D render they presented. Um, I don't want to see anyone strapping their drones to their shoes and thinking they can go for a burl. <laughs> uh, you're giving me ideas though. Um, uh, but yes, it's a, it's certainly a, a concept, um, and uh, obviously there's been a few kind of conceptual goes at it. Um, ben. What's what's your first technology? So my first is um, called the pet portal. So, you right. know, for those people with pets, how annoying is it getting up and going, opening the door just for them to, you know, have a quick wee for a minute and come back inside? What are you so talking about, got, man? I open the door for mine, they walk out, I shut it, and then they're knocking to get let back in. Absolutely. They're like, nah, it's too cold out here. I want to go back inside. <laughs> so, um... I've got quite a large dog, a Great Dane Cross Shepherd. So um, a dog flap would sort of let people in as well. Um, <laughs> it's just so, called you know, a door. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just a door. <laughs> so these um, actually come quite big and they connect to your dog's collar via Bluetooth little chip. And so as the dog approaches, it'll ding and open the elevator doors. And, and then, they're actually elevator sto- style doors, yeah. right? They're like elevator-style doors. The dog can come through and then it will close behind them. Um, It'll send you push notifications when your dog uses it. So if you're out with your dog and it opens, you can go, what's happening? (laughs) Um, But it also, you know, I think it avoids, you know, the unwanted surprises when you get back home and you accidentally left your dog in your house. So how is it going to change your life if you install the 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 dog do, doggy that fancy doggy door? Uh, no, three a.m. whining at the door, yeah. complaining to be let out. I think that's a pretty big win, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Is that everything? Have we covered all the technologies. Uh, no, Ben's still got one more. Still to go. got one. one more. What's one your more. next one, Ben? So um, I like many others love singing in the shower. Um, everybody else doesn't like me singing in the shower because I've got a horrible singing voice, but you know, you're halfway through your shower, shampooing your hair and your Bluetooth speaker dies. Um, so then you're just sort of showering sad because you can't sing your Broadway. Um, sharing the way your grandparents had to, it's not fair. Nah, (laughs) you know, we're in 2021. We need music while we do everything. (laughs) So, um, you know, a Bluetooth speaker that fits on your shower head and is powered by the flow of the water um, just sounded like the perfect dream machine for me. Um, so, you know, you turn on your shower, it turns on because it's powered by your shower. 
you connect it to your phone, you put on your favorite Spotify podcast, such as the F Team or your favorite. Uh, there are no Disney. other podcasts. Yeah, there's no other podcast or your Disney soundtrack. Um, you know, and you go on your merry way, you have your shower, you turn off the water and the speaker turns off. Um, they've got a additional sort of speaker they call a droplet, um, kind of a cute little name that you can put next to your sink um, so that when you run your shower, you can be brushing your teeth or, you know, doing something else to have the music sort of all in your bathroom, not just in the shower. My, my, um, my main concern is... Uh, hopefully they've taken into account uh, you know, certain shower users, uh, such as my partner who likes to have it at, uh, you know, the velocity of the water has to be stripping your skin off and about a million degrees. So uh, hopefully it can withstand those sort of pressures and, and heat for, for long periods of time. So they do say that it's, you know, heat and steam resistant. Um, be interesting to see how they manage that one. Um, they are made by recycled plastic yes. bottles. So you can always feel good about this purchase. You don't have to worry about more plastic in the world. Um, and, of course, it's 2021. There has to be an RGB version. I'm sold now. <laughs> Done. What I want to know is whether you can, like, hook it up to your Tesla um, home battery and um, take in some of the power that you generate and hook it up back to the, back to the grid, back to your battery. Ooh, get your own hydro power station yeah. set up. You're gonna milk every every last bit of the power generation, right? Yeah. Very good. Well, um, thank you both very much for joining and sharing your uh, weird and wonderful technology and and um, giving us some insights into some of the best laptop technology that came out of um, CES. It was, it was certainly a big event and um, definitely di didn't disappoint. Um, thanks, to Ben, for coming to your first podcast. Hopefully, we can have you back again. Absolutely. And thanks, Ned, for always volunteering your time. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Yes. <laughs> thanks for listening to the latest episode of The F Team. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts from, and the video is also available on our website, www.ftpl.com.au. See you next time.